As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, February 1st. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris, continuing and closing out our position preview series for the 2024 fantasy baseball season. And appropriately, we're closing it out with relievers. It's amazing. It's almost like somebody planned that. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time in spreadsheets. I spend a lot of time in rundowns. Eno spends a lot of time in spreadsheets. He does not spend a lot of time in rundowns. <laughs> time in rundowns. <laughs> I, 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 I look. We have a doc. We ha- no, you, you actually do open it. You do read it. That is actually probably above average prep work compared to the overall body of folks I have worked with over the entire scope of my career. <laughs> it does seem like something that's gotten better over time. People are a little more into the rundown than they were back when podcasting started. You know, for all of our listeners, not to uh, too much of how the sausage is made, like, you know, one of the things that we're kind of excited about this year is doing a little bit more on YouTube. And I know you might be listening to this as you walk and, you know, YouTube requires kind of looking at a screen and that's not ideal for some of you, but we're going to be doing more sort of visualizations. You saw in that last uh, picture pod, uh, pod that we had, uh, you know, an overlay um, with, with some, some actual visuals and, you know, it requires a little bit of work. It looks, requires looking at the rundown and thinking ahead of time. Uh, but, uh, adding that visual component to this podcast could be something exciting for everybody, uh, as we kind of try to, you know, demonstrate and show you the things that we're looking at when we're talking about these things. Exactly. It's nice to have the option to see it. Uh, if you're out walking the dog, you know, YouTube might not be the best way to consume it. The old podcast route might be the way to go, but if you're inside, Stuck in the living room, stuck in the basement, and got something going on in the background. The visuals can be pretty helpful. So be sure to check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the like button on this video. Drop us a nice rating and review for the podcast. If you haven't done that already, we really appreciate five-star reviews. Uh, it makes our bosses happy. And when they're happy, you know, things tend to go pretty well for us. So uh, we really appreciate everybody who's done that and everybody who will do that. Let's begin at the top of the reliever board. You know, this is outside the first two rounds of a 15-team league. Typically, you're going to see pick 35-ish is when that first closer might come off the board. 
Uh, that's an NFBC style approach. Draft and holds are very popular this time of year. If you can't make moves in season for saves, you have to make sure you get them in the draft. So I think that gives a little bit of a nudge to some of the elite guys in this particular format. But the top five relievers this year, in some order, tend to go off Devin Williams, Edwin Diaz, Josh Hader, Emmanuel Classe, and Joan Duran. And all five of them are great for different reasons. I am curious, just from a broader perspective, are you living in this range? We talk about opportunity cost a lot. If you draft a closer in round three or round four, you're giving up a lot in terms of that, that starting pitcher, that bat, whatever it is you could be looking at otherwise. Those are all quality players too. So have you been living in this tier so far? In draft and holds, I will because you don't have free agency. You don't have that ability to add closers. I think uh, there's something like 30% of saves is the number I believe that Jeff Zimmerman uh, found. 30% of saves every in any given year are on the waiver wire. You know, uh, after the draft is finished. Um, but in draft and hold, you have no access to those. So all, all of a sudden, the, the 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 amount of saves you could get shrinks by one third. You know, um, and so given that, I want one stud that I think I can hold on to, uh, put my hands around, and 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 have as a source of save. Sometimes um, just having one closer and ending the season with thirty saves instead of five or ten can win you a league. Right, you know. because you might get four or five standings points instead of one or two. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. I think as it gets, you know, as the team, as the league uh, differs, if you add free agency, I want to get the last one of this tier. Mm. You know, there I'm. I'm not like trying to be so certain I get one of these. I will just take the one that falls to me. You know, that's something. Like I think in this case, sometimes it's hater. Um, you know, I guess you're saying by ADP, it's Duran. I would, I would jump all over that. Uh, Hader actually has the weakest stuff plus and the weakest projection. All these guys have, uh, ERA projections, um, using stuff plus that start with two, except for Hader. It's a 311, it's a 350. It's might be okay, but like, you know, um, you know, if you just want to see the top of the PPERA, you've got Diaz. Munoz is my secret tier one. So <laughs> if I'm in a 10-team league, I could wait all the way to Munoz because I see that 252 ERA. He added a sinker late in the season. I see a lot of stuff to love there. But Duran, if he's the last guy in this tier in a 10-team league, yeah, give me him. And I can wait to, I don't know, what is the fourth or something uh, maybe to get him. So I uh, just want one of that top tier because those are innings too. You know, and they're awesome innings. So you can't just say it's just saves. You're talking about, I might get 60 to 70 innings of an, I might even get a 60 to 70 innings of a ERA that starts with one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I might get a hundred strikeouts. Like that's how good these guys are. So I might get a hundred strikeouts in these 60 innings. That could be really, that's like, that is just really valuable. So I, I do want one of these guys. Yeah, if you break the glass in this group, let's say you take the first closer off the board. Is Edwin Diaz your choice? Because it seems like, He's the most popular of the bunch, even though a torn ACL that he suffered in the World Baseball Classic kept him out for the entire 2023 season. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't an arm injury. And I know, you know, other people have struggled with knee injuries and and, and it's been going on. But like he was close to coming back and there was some discussion that if they'd gone to the playoffs, he could have come back and 
there was, you know, there was some noise that he might, you know, pitch a little bit at the end of the season, and then they shut him down. Um, I just, I, with a knee injury and a full year off, like I, I feel like he'll be fine. I'm with the on Diaz. I just, I'm, if it were an arm injury, it'd be completely different because it's not. No problem taking him as the first closer off the board. I go Diaz Williams as my first two. I think as long as. Devin Williams is healthy. He's clearly the guy. We see the elite of the elite K rate, 37.7% last year. It's the best on the rundown from the first four tiers today. And these are guys that generally miss a ton of bats. Uh, so it's just the slight health risk. I think we've talked about the way he throws that airbender, kind of that over pronation look. It just seems like it puts a lot of strain on his arm. So far, so good for him, though, in the big leagues. Some missed time in the minors that doesn't necessarily show up in the majors. Uh, some less time in the majors and then you just like i i hate to play this game because there's so few people that throw basically a screwball like he like he throws but the other people have thrown screwballs brent honeywell i, I think jake faria has that you know big uh, pronation um you know the exaggerated pronation uh hector santiago like the they do not have good uh clean bills of health uh dallas brayton Dallas Brayton uh, basically threw a screwball, and he said it. His shoulder was so nasty that when Dr. James Andrews saw it, he said it was the worst he'd ever seen. <laughs> that's that's not an award you would want, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Brayton has some stories, dude. Oh, they they you know the medical world was not kind to him. We'll have to get to that in a future episode, I think, because <laughs> that could be a really really deep rabbit hole. Uh, as far as hater goes. He really does push the limits for walks, 13% walk rate. Plenty of these elite closers are above 10, but he's trending in the wrong direction. You see that kind of erratic command, even though he still throws really hard. I was really surprised that Houston signed him. We talked about that a bit last week. I think he's fine within this group, unless you think Ryan Presley kind of carves out a small committee role where it's 8 to 10 of the saves that would have gone to Hayter. Go to Presley. I don't think it's like that. I think it's more Presley might go on a day where Hater's unavailable if Presley himself is available. But I see Presley being the last piece in the bridge to Hater. So if Hater's not going, Presley's probably not going that day either. And it's someone like Abreu or someone else who has to pop up and clean up the occasional save if they've got you know three in a row or something along those lines. Yeah, uh, amazingly, both Abreu and Presley have better projections. Than hater hmm uh i've got brian abreu with a 141 stuff it's an lol type thing uh with a 297 projection i have ryan presley with a 144 which is sort of amazing giving you know his age uh and a 279 projection and hater has a 111 with a 354 projection i kind of think they didn't consult their analytics team on this one. <laughs> that kind of seems like the Astros lean, though. It seems like Jim Crane is being a little more hands-on with moves, right? I mean, they had yeah. Jose Abreu last offseason, and a lot of us said, that doesn't seem like an Astros thing. And then you see like Jeff Bagwell quotes around it. You're like, oh, the old first baseman signed the old first baseman or wanted <laughs> yeah. the old first baseman. Huh, how about that? So, you know, it is a little bit unusual in that regard, too. I think you could pretty easily bump Duran ahead of Hader just because when you watch Joan Duran, it's just oh, pure filth. His so splinker nasty. might be the nastiest pitch in the entire league. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and in fact, I would have uh, Hater last, except for the fact that Munoz has had some injury history and uh, doesn't have the track record, and also in Seattle may have someone behind him that could take the role, that could do the role. I don't know if as well as him, but like you know, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, they do have a nice bullpen there as well. I think the other question here: if you bump Duran up, you say he's third, fourth best in this tier. Emmanuel Class A, the strikeouts were gone last year. We've talked about it at least once or twice before. I mean, this is paying top dollar for job security. This is a guy who's still uh, under that contract extension for three more seasons with two club options on top of that. So the Guardians can really do anything they want because they've got cost control on Class A. Throws really hard. You'd think he'd strike more guys out. But even his career strikeout rate, it's 24.9%. We saw a 21.2% last year. If he dips from there, there is job loss potential because he starts to become hittable enough where bad stuff's going to happen. Someone else could emerge to be the option of the projection systems at Fangraphs. I think only the bat has a K percentage as low as what Class A did last year. Most of their systems are nudging him back closer to that career mark. So you know, where do you stand on, on Class A? Do you think this this 2023 K rate's a little bit of a an outlier and things are generally going to be fine for him as one of the safer closers on the board? Yeah, we have the highest projected strikeout rate uh, with our Stuff Plus-based projections that Jordan Rosenblum um, created. And we've got a 27% strikeout rate for him. That's higher than any other projection system. So I'm in on him. Plus, um, one thing that that you found historically with big velo is that it suppresses home run rate and it suppresses batting average on balls in play, which actually is a, kind of funny when you think about it because we just talked about on one of those pitcher podcasts that we found that stuff plus affects um, uh, BABIP and home runs. So uh, there's a link there because VLO is, is an important part of, of stuff. So, uh, you know, you, you see a 0.42 home run rate for his career and a 0.264 BABIP for his career for Class A. Those aren't by accident. You know, it's, it's, it's filthy. It may not come with the same strikeout rate as a Diaz or a Williams um, or even a Munoz, but um, you know it's uh, it's safe. It's real nice and safe. I think. I don't think he's going to lose his job. Incredibly difficult to square up. So yeah, I think things look pretty good for Emmanuel Class A as well. Really cool that you've got the highest K rate projection on there. I like to hear the sound of that because. You don't like to lose anything in any category when you draft a reliever this early. So it feels a little strange when you see how that stacks up to the other guys, even in tiers two and three, really. You see consistently better K rates than what Class A did last season. Let's move down to tier two. This is more like the pick 50 to 75 range. You can kind of tell that there's this this momentum that occurs in a draft where that first run happens. And many of the teams that don't have a closer yet kind of have the, uh-oh, I got to get a closer if I really want one, especially in draft and hold. This group includes Camilo Doval, uh, Rysel Iglesias, David Bednar, Jordan Romano, and Alexis Diaz. Kind of interesting that Andres Munoz, who you really like, still isn't even in this tier yet. He's actually going to be in tier three, so we'll get to him in detail here in just a couple of Buying minutes. opportunity right there. I mean, these are, these are very... Um, very soft walls, <laughs> very low walls. They can be scaled quite easily. They're they're kind of like the um, like the ninja warrior walls. Like you know, people can just <laughs> find a way over them pretty quickly. <laughs> and things will change. I mean, it's super early in the you know. Not only are we you know picking our favorites and other pods picking their favorites, but 
Uh, we'll get into spring training and people will ask the manager, is Munoz your closer? He'll say yes. And then Munoz immediately gets, you know, a round bump or whatever. Yeah. And there are some sharp fantasy baseball players I know who don't bother with their prep until after the Super Bowl. And we're not there yet. So there's also that. Like, there's still more people who are going to dive into the pool with their own ideas and ranks and things that will shake things up even further. But Duvall is in this group. He's top the the bunch in terms of ADP. If his command got just a little bit better, I could see him making the leap to top five status. I think he's already shown a little bit more consistency. Thing I've always liked about him, though, he just looks so calm. Even when things aren't going well, even when he can't land the fastball or the slider where he wants to, it seems like he's always got one of those pitches working, and it's just enough. And beyond that, the Giants have really kind of settled in using him as a, a true closer or at least a primary closer, whereas a little earlier in his career... It was really unclear how Gabe Kapler at the time was going to manage that bullpen. Yeah, something weird happened where they were on pace to use him close to 80 innings. I mean, the first half, he had 41 innings and a 263 ERA. In the second half, he had 26 innings and a 338 ERA. And there was some of the discourse of just like, oh, we're not using him enough. And I'm like, um, I doubt that's it. In fact... The way I read it and, and from watching him and, and sort of, you know, knowing, noticing his, his use um, was that I, I thought he was tired. And if you look at his velo charts in April and May, he was, um, you know, you can see it in a slider velo. Let's, can I switch this to something? It's just showing me his slider velo. That's all right. It's still a good proxy. His slider was uh, 90 miles an hour in April and May. Uh, his slider in uh, October was 85 in his last appearance. Um, so I think they used him really hard. And I know uh, he gets a full season off and um, you know maybe they, they won't use him as hard and they didn't use him as hard in the second half. So um, you know maybe they saw something themselves. Um, on the same time, Fatigue is fatigue. It can lead to future injury. Uh, and this is a kind of a scouting thing where I'm just like, he looked tired to me. Um, he is, though, a baby class A. You know, in terms of like huge velo, a fastball that cuts, a good hard slider. He's like, he strikes out a few more than class A. Uh, but it's, it's, it's that kind of package. He's got a 0.61 home run for nine, uh, a decent Babiv. Um, so I, I think he's he's fine where he goes, and if you do miss out uh, and you want you want to get in, I I see some traps in this tier, and he's not he's not necessarily one of them. Oh, I'm I'm curious to know which of these uh, other guys. I, if you see more than one trap, you see more traps than I do because I I see one that's easy to avoid at the back of the group. Alexis Diaz is the most wobbly of the bunch. Makes sense that he goes the latest of the bunch, but who's the other trap? Yeah, Alexis also had a second half velocity swoon that I hadn't noticed. Yeah, it's a Damn. sharp, sharp drop. Look at this on YouTube or on Brooks Baseball if you'd like. We're talking in 2022. Uh, he had a month where he was 96 and a half. Uh, and even late 22, he was sitting 96. He never sat higher than 95, what, two uh, in 2023. And in, in August of 2023, he was down to 94. So this is a concerning graph if you see the whole shape of it. He did bounce back a little bit in December, but still not up to 95. 
Um, and so I am concerned about Lexus Diaz's second half ERA that was like two runs higher too. And when you see that alongside the velo and you know that relievers are tied to their velo, relievers production is tied to their velo like much more than it is for starters. Uh, so that's one trap. The other trap is Rice Iglesias, who has the worst stuff plus uh, of any of the closers that we ranked in the top 30. Um, you know, I've got a, a ranking coming out tomorrow. He has the worst stuff plus of any of the closers that end up on our rankings. Um, and with a 354 projection, uh, ERA projection, the worst uh, projection, I guess tied with Hayter, uh, the worst projection of anybody that we've seen, whose name we've seen so far. Now, that's not a terrible projection, 354, uh, but you think about it and you think about how good A.J. Minter is and even Joe Jimenez, and you've got, you know, you've got options if you're the Braves. And uh, if Iglesias stumbles at all, I could see Minter just taking over because they have other lefties in that bullpen. They don't need Minter as like kind of a situational lefty. Right. So I, I think I think Minter could take this role this year. I mean, Minter is nasty. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, this is, these are great strikeouts. It's great stuff. He, the command problem he had early in his, his career is gone. So I'm all over Minter. I think I'm less worried about Iglesias this year. I, I think we're starting to see the signs of aging. I think there's a good chance he can keep it for one more season. It's a good point that the quality in Atlanta's bullpen gives them plenty of ready-made replacements at their disposal. The issue for me would be home runs for Iglesias. We've seen that pop up on a few occasions. We saw it in his only full season with the Angels. We saw it last year in the closer role with Atlanta. So we're starting to see, I think, small warts. He doesn't miss quite as many bats as some of the guys that go ahead of him. But he's also got better control than a lot of those guys. So I'm okay with Iglesias. I, I think he's in my circle of trust at this point. Um, Diaz is nowhere near it, <laughs> just by comparison. I don't see it with Alexis Diaz. I think the velocity chart was one reason for it he had 37 saves last year while nobody else in the pen had more than three so i think the only argument i could make against myself is, is who's a threat guy? to his job like who's cincinnati gonna throw out there i, I think Lucas i sims? smirched that bullpen before i like sims a little bit but that walk rate's disgusting yeah. i mean so i just think they don't necessarily have their next man up that's so good like, diaz has to be really bad to lose the job Iglesias could have a couple of bad outings, and because of the Braves trying to be you know, the best team in the National League, maybe there's a quicker decision to make a change. I could understand that argument, but I think Iglesias is actually pretty solid in this group. I imagine what you said about Iglesias means you like both David Bednar and Jordan Romano more than Iglesias from this bunch. Yes, I definitely do. Um, and uh, I actually even have Iglesias in my third tier. Wow. So uh, I... I <laughs> put Bednar, Doval, and Romano uh, on equal footing. They all have basically 3-3 three, three projections and 120 stuff plus. So they've like just fine guys. And, and for what it's worth, don't think that, you know, Bednar on the Pirates won't get any saves. He had 39 last year. I think there's a little bit of um, an overcorrection for save chances on below average or bad teams that was the pirates are bad they're, they're not bad they're below average and they're at least on the rise i would say a team like oakland last year you, know, you look at a, like a truly disastrous team, saves that they have colorado most years you look at those teams and say okay these teams are so unbelievably bad that they're they are going to be even a notch below a typical below average team and they also did such a terrible job in many cases stacking up enough quality relievers that it's a crapshoot for who gets saves. 
amazingly, uh, Oakland still, uh, you know, as bad as they were, still had 29 saves. But what does happen is, you know, like Pittsburgh, as an example, um, had uh, 47 saves. So you always expect that no matter what the team save number is, you know, the leader is below that. And, you know, so 29 saves means that tops in that pen might have 22 saves if it was, uh, and it was that way. Trevor May had 21 saves, um, you know, and I guess that's useful. But if you're putting them up against everybody else getting 30 and 35, then uh, you're behind, you're behind the peer, your peers. Right. It's so weird when you look at the team save leaderboard, which I should spend more time looking at in the winters. The Rangers, the team that won the World Series, fourth from the bottom. They only had 30 saves. Most of the teams on the bottom, Royals, White Sox, A's, Rockies, you know, those are teams that we didn't have high expectations for, for the most part. White Sox would be an outlier within that group. They just had a disastrous season. The Mets being like five, six from the bottom, that's kind of a surprise. I mean, they didn't have Diaz, but they weren't weren't supposed to be a bad team last year. They sold the deadline, so that didn't help. The Cubs had a winning record. They only had 35. Padres had a winning record. They only had 36. So yeah, it's it's a funny little thing where it's not always not always a case where the the below average teams fail to generate save opportunities. The argument I've heard that resonates with me is those teams don't score a ton of runs. When they do win, they don't win by more than three. They usually create <laughs> save chances by virtue of not blowing teams out very often. And there's a fair amount of noise. So you know, if you look at the bottom there, uh, Texas had two and a half wins, 2.6 wins um, above replacement from their bullpen. Oakland was below replacement and uh, Texas only had one more save. So that says to me a little bit of luck, right? Like a little bit of like, oops, you blew some, even though it was, it was a more quality pen than Oakland had. And you can even go up the chain where the Angels had 43 saves and they only got 0.6 wins from their bullpen. So that's kind of luck in the other direction for that bullpen, not necessarily for the entire team. Um, and then Washington Nationals had 42 saves and a 0.6 war from their bullpen. So, you know, I, I used to think that, yes, a good bullpen can hand you hand the closer more save opportunities. And so if it's just an awful bullpen, sometimes I do want to just be like, I don't want a part of it. But, uh, you know, Washington, by wins of our replacement, at least, Washington was one of the three worst bullpens last year and still got, you know, 40-plus saves. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's actually a few buying opportunities with some of these teams that we'll get to here in the lower tiers. As far as Bednar goes, I think he's one of the most underrated closers in the game outside of fantasy circles. We've known who Bednar is for a long time in these parts, but... Career 30% K rate, 265 ERA, 111 whip. I mean, he's, he's just good across the board. I like him a little more than Jordan Romano. The velo is holding up okay. The K rate is down a little bit from where it was when Romano broke out and back in 2021. A little surge in fly balls maybe could make him a little more vulnerable to homers, but ultimately this looks like a really nice profile. I wonder if if Nate Pearson is actually the biggest threat to Jordan Romano in the long run because Nate Pearson looks pretty darn good in the bullpen. Yes, in some drafting holes, I actually took Nate Pearson this year. So, uh, you know, Romano's velocity has had some weird home away splits and a <laughs> little bit of softness. And if you think about his career, like he had a big velo jump that had, when he went to relief, but like he had a big velo jump at one point. And you kind of just wonder if that's going to stick around forever. So I, I, I it, it's picking the nits with him. Like I, I'm, I'm totally fine with Romano. Romano, Bednar and, and Duvall are, are just, I've got no real problems in, 
you know, th- you know, that's it's an argument. I think even in like a 15 team league, like you can jump to you can drop to these guys. What are you really what are you really losing? Uh, for me, I feel like you're getting close to 30 percent strikeout rates from Romano, Bednar and Doval. Uh, according to our projections, you're getting a three ERA instead of like a two, five two six. So you are you are losing something, but is it a big drop? I mean, I, I think it's and they all seem fairly safe in their roles. And so even if Bednar gets traded, like doesn't he get traded to be a closer? There's a good chance. Yeah, he'd still end up closing for his new team in a bunch of outcomes. There's a couple teams that are really good that don't necessarily have a clear option that stacks up with these top two tiered relievers. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Move on to tier three. I have two of these guys in my tier two. So tier three is pretty big by ADP. It's uh, more than just the guys on the screen right now. It's Paul Seawall, Peter Fairbanks, Andres Munoz, Ryan Helsley, Tanner Scott, Evan Phillips, Craig Kimbrell, Clay Holmes, Kenley Jansen, and Edbert Alzali. So I, you could cut it in half and say, well, the first group is like 80 to 100 in terms of where they tend to go, and the next group's 100 to 120. There's a lot of movement in this range. Depending on how aggressive the room is, you can see some of these guys creep up a little bit. So that's why I figured it was better to just lump them all yeah, together. I have like uh, I have like a couple tier fours in here. I have a tier one in here. I have a couple tier twos in here. Like this is <laughs> I, that just it represents like a great buying opportunity, especially. Like, if you could tell me that I could come out of a draft with Andres Munoz, Munoz as my second closer, I would feel like I would have a better pen than anybody else. Is that a strategy you would only typically execute in draft and hold? Or would you actually do that in a league with moves to avoid having to try throwing a bunch of fab at saves later on? Because that could be, that could give you a different sort of strength, right? If you're not chasing saves throughout the season, if you're not trying to make three digit bids on relievers that start to pop, you know, you could be more aggressive with prospect call-ups. You could be more aggressive with streamers, with two-star pitchers. Also, if you have a short bench, uh, you know, I, I've spent time with a reliever on my bench that's sort of like, this guy could become a closer. And so I'm, I'm, it's like a prospect. I'm holding on to this guy to become a closer, which means if you have, you know, seven bench spots, now you have six because you, you've got one reliever that's always hanging around because you need saves, you know? Whereas if you just have two really great ones, you may not even have to think about it. You know, this one falls into your lap kind of deal. Um, so yeah, I think it's a decent idea. I also think in like uh, some 10 and 12 team leagues, especially like head to head, it's not a bad idea to have it as a strength, especially if you have one of these leagues that's like two starting pitcher slots, two reliever pitcher slots, and then like four P's. Like, think about it. Like that's four, four you could do anything with. Uh, like it'd be, what if you had... 
you know, uh, you came out of the draft with uh, Joe Endura and Andres Munoz in those two RP slots. Then you buy a bunch of starting pitchers and then you kind of get all these sleeper. And then all of a sudden you have like, you know, five closers in a 10 team league. Like that's going to blow people out of the water in a couple categories. You could start to maybe do one of these low innings pitch strategies where you just come out there with a bunch of relievers, win ERA, win saves, win um, uh, uh, whip, and uh, try to stay competitive in, in wins and, and Ks. If you, if you have that many Ks from your, your, your closers, like you may actually be able to stay competitive. Yeah, definitely possible. Uh, so this group turns into a little bit more of a mixed bag, right? You've got Paul Seawald, who I think filled a really clear need for an upgrade in the Arizona bullpen after the Diamondbacks acquired him midseason. Turns 34 in May. I mean, it's more funk than velocity. So I think he'll continue to age pretty well. I don't see major threats to his role in Arizona right now. So I think Seawald is fine where he's going. The problem I have is when I look at, especially Munoz, who will probably creep up. I definitely like Munoz more than Seawald, and I like Ryan Helsley more than Seawald, too. Ryan Helsley had a 24% K-BB, fifth among all the relievers in these first four tiers we're going to talk about today. You know, consecutive years now with just fantastic ratios. They sometimes share that role. You know, Giovanni Gallegos has had a shoulder injury, so there's Helsley's a little bit of a question there. Issues. Yeah, but I, I could see Helsley being their first 30-save closer since Trevor Rosenthal, who got the wow. 48 all the way back in 2015. Wow, that's a good pool. Uh, I I totally see him as a chair one guy. He's a tier two guy for me, uh, and my favorite on this on this list in front of us. Although I, I would say that Pete Fairbanks um, on an inning per inning basis, and when you look at projections, you fall in love with him. So I've mm-hmm. got a two four six ERA for him and a three oh nine for Helsley. I've got a thirty four percent strikeout rate projected for Pete Fairbanks. But th- this is when you're when he's healthy, and you, that's when you fall in love with him, and then and then you draft him, and you're like, oh man, he's on the IL again. So um, I I don't know how much to ding a closer for health risk. It's already hard enough with starting pitchers, but with a starting pitcher, the on off switch is: am I going to get 200 innings or like zero from this guy? Whereas for Fairbanks, the most you're going to get anyway is, is 60 innings. So you're also risking a, a lower pick. You know, so, uh, you know, if you if, if Fairbanks is going to be your your third closer, then like, you know, thumbs up, dude. Yeah. If he's, uh, if he's your second closer, I'm still in. If he's your first closer, you waited. You did. And I think by skills, you're right. I'm with you on the projections. He hasn't worked 50 innings in a season as a reliever before. I think really early in his career, he was a starter in the minor leagues. He got up over 100 way back then. But he's had a ton of different injuries. Uh, if I remember correctly, he got hurt dunking in the pool over his kid. <laughs> it's an unusual injury that will <laughs> teaching teaching his kid a lesson, I guess, but hurting himself in the process. Yeah. Twenty five saves I think last Dad year. Dad got for, taught a lesson too. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Fairbanks had twenty five saves last season. It actually tied Sergio Romo for the most in a season for the Rays, going back to twenty eighteen. Wow. They have three twenty save seasons in the last four last five full years. Uh, Emilio Pagan, I think, has the other one, and just six seasons with ten plus saves. They do, they spread it around a little bit, but some of that is just breaking guys. Like their willingness to build around the likes of Fairbanks and their bullpen just means someone gets hurt, someone else picks up the job. So it I'm limits okay his upside. He was the twenty fourth best reliever according to uh, the auction calculator last year. 
I think if Munoz and Helsley were gone and I already had one reliever and I felt like I needed that second one, either because there's going to be another run, maybe I didn't like the other players where I was kind of positioned in a snake draft, I'd be okay taking Fairbanks. I just like him more as a two than as a one because it may be closer to 20 saves than the 30 plus you really want from that that first closer that you put on your roster. How do you compare him to Tanner Scott? Because Tanner Scott's interesting. Got 20 saves in 2022. Had fewer saves last year. Only had 12, but everything just looked better. He cut his walk rate in half. He went from extreme walk problems at 15.9% down to 7.7%. He's always had premium velocity. It's a really nice fastball slider combo. Are you a believer in Tanner Scott? Do you think that the Marlins are comfortable letting him just be the closer from start to finish this season? Yeah, so there's like a blessing and a curse that comes with the 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 fact that um, stuff is more sticky year to year than command. The blessing is you can pick up Tanner Scott on the cheap, you know, when he has a terrible walk rate, and then he might pop for you, you know, the next year. The curse is, I don't know how much to believe that that you know he had one of the worst location pluses of, of any reliever. Uh, you know, the last two years. And then this year, he all of a sudden, he's above average. And uh, no matter what, I'm baking regression in. Um, and so, you know, maybe with regression, he can still be good. It's, it's interesting to see him run these 15 and 16% walk rates in 21 and 22 and 2, go down to 7.8%. And then the projections are like, yeah, something's changed. And they're at 10 and 9 and not, you know, the bat says 11. What if it's 12 or 13? That's just as plausible given his history. His career rate is 12.7. Why isn't it 12.7, you know? Um, And so I also see other options in that pen. And so I am, I'm not going to say that I'm fully out on Scott. There's situations where I'll take him, but I would much rather have Munoz and Fairbanks and Helsley. And I bet you if you split this over to the next part of the, the screen, what's the next part of the tier? I have one or two names here that I would take over him to. Yeah, I think I have two names on this part. So this is Evan Phillips and Clay Holmes. I think I would take over Tanner Scott. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense in part based on the usage for Scott. What changes to, I didn't make the visual before the show because I didn't look at the map ahead of time, but his entire heat map, which was pretty blurry like way outside the zone big blob in 2022 just got tighter with both the four seamer and the slider so it does look like something changed maybe with him. just like throw it down the middle dude maybe maybe it was more yeah simpling uh, simplifying the targets maybe there was some kind of off-season program like I, I i would love to know more about how he did it because yeah i had tanner scott kind of just in this permanent bucket of electric arm no idea where it's going can't trust them and i've missed out in season last year i even missed out in 2022 for those 20 saves and now i'm looking at him and saying yeah it makes sense there's a lot of things that are good i would say phillips holmes maybe adbert alzale also would be someone i'm a little more comfortable with i think that's where the toss-up would actually come in like trying to decide if if everything is going to be there this year for Elzali, he had an injury last year, an elbow injury. I think that slowed him down just a little bit in the second half. But everything looked so good. 5Ks to every walk. He has to get a little better against lefties if he's going to become truly like an elite closer. 
but he just looks really, really solid right now. And I think that's the thing within this kind of sub-tier is that Phillips and Holmes and Alzali all just look like they're pretty safe by skills. It's just a question of whether or not someone else comes along that has the capital C closer in their past that can bump them off that spot. You know, if the if the Yankees traded for Bednar midseason, would he close over Clay Holmes? If the Dodgers traded for Bednar, would he close over Evan Phillips? Yeah, so that's the scary part is other people being, you know, coming in on trade. So Emmanuel Classe trade rumors were a little mm. bit scary. And those were tied specifically to the Cubs, but Class A to the Dodgers, I think would make sense. You know, like in terms of that's the only part of their team that's not like super, <laughs> super goosed, you know, like, um, and the Yankees have always tried to have amazing pens. But I think even with Clay Holmes, they have a pretty good pen because I like Jonathan Malizaga. I like uh, Ian Hamilton. I like a fair amount of those guys in that pen. And, you know, you know, I like some of those guys in draft and holds just for wins and holds and, you know, and, and, and ERA and innings. If you throw that leaderboard up again, that we, we throw it up, threw up earlier about, if you see on here, Pete Fairbanks, number two in projected ERA, but there's Clay Holmes, uh, with a sub three projected ERA, uh, and Tanner Scott. So of course <laughs> a stuff based projection system loves him. It's only me, uh, flawed human being, not the model. I am not the embodiment of the model, uh, who is worried about the command. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe trust the cold, hard facts, but Clay Holmes, uh, still has, uh, you know, stuff wise, what he, what it takes. I, I think he's also finding ways to mitigate his flaws. So like he had a, this, this flaw that he's a big right-handed sinker guy, sinker slider guy that, you know, how do I get lefties out? And it was kind of sinker sweeper. So it's like, oh, you have the pitches with the two biggest platoon splits. How do you get lefties out? And um, he, he tried to convince me, no, it's okay. Like, you know, there are people who've thrown sinkers to lefties and, and had success. And I looked it up and, you know, like Jared Hughes is on the list. I mean, I don't know. He's cool, but I don't know if, you know, you want Jared Hughes as your closer. So, like, you know, uh, I was like, I'm not sure, dude. Like, uh, you're kind of on an island there. So, what he did over the course of last season was develop a gyro slider. So, a hard bullet slider. And so, he's really a three-pitch pitcher. Max rating is max rating is two. And you can lead with that hard gyro slider because it's a little bit platoon neutral. It's just a bullet. It's just, it's just a seed. And so uh, you can play off that. So you, if you use that as your fastball, he basically can pitch backwards against lefties. And I think he'll regain. Uh, he he already kind of regained it, but I, I think he'll sort of regain like he is the closer uh, kind of feeling over the course of spring. Are you taking Holmes over Phillips if that's what you're kind of looking at at the top of the queue? No, because I think Phillips is is just safer right now. I, I don't think they want to go to Bruce Dargatterall because. Um, you know, he does allow balls in play more than Phillips does. And uh, also gra- bringing Bradwell in with the best hitters at the plate and maybe a batter on base in the seventh inning to basically close the game uh, is something that I think that the Dodgers love to do. As far as the olds go, we didn't say a lot about Paul Seawald. He goes a little earlier than the other two, but Kimbrell and Jansen still kind of hanging around, doing their thing. Jansen, the second of a two-year deal with the Red Sox, showing a few more warts at this stage of his career. Not at all surprising. We wondered if there'd be some pitch clock problems here, given his um, pacing in the past. Had the second worst ERA, 363, and the worst whip at 128 of his career, and the K rate fell below 30%. So, Kenley Jansen doesn't quite look like that guy anymore, but still seems like he's relatively trusted because of the track record. 
would you end up with either one of Jansen or Kimbrell, whose regular season numbers were pretty good? It's the postseason struggles that are just etched in everybody's mind. The park is helping Kimbrell, and the stuff is is better for Kimbrell. Uh, in a related manner, uh, Jordan Rosenblum did a an aging curve for Stuff Plus and found that um, at the ages that they're at, you're losing uh, you know as much as three to four points on your Stuff Plus in a given year, and that makes sense given what we know about fastball velo uh, aging curves and how they start to accelerate in your late 30s and early 40s. So um, these guys are still tied to their velo. Jansen is trying to become like kind of a wide arsenal closer, um, maybe trying to kind of Rysel Iglesias it up where he's, you know, he's going to be a funky closer that has many pitches. Um, but I still prefer big velo, big secondary, uh, Craig Kimball kind of approach. There's a, a massive drop after this group. There's like a 40 to 50 pick range where you don't really see closers go. So if you don't have one and then these are the guys at the top of the queue, it's kind of important to try and, and find the one that you feel the best about. But I'm with you on the two that stand out. Phillips and Holmes make a lot of sense. Alzali, if he's healthy, I think has some potential to take at least a small step forward again here. The deeper it gets into spring without a, without a class A trade, the less likely it happens too. Right. Right. So I think at price, I have no problem taking him ideally as a second closer where it's 15 team league and you waited. Maybe he's your first, which is going to force (laughs) you going to force you to shop aggressively in the fringe options and try and find some value. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Tier four. I've got two screens worth here. Jose Alvarado, Jose Leclerc, Alex Lang, Mason Miller, plus Carlos Estevez, Kyle Finnegan, and Robert Suarez. It starts to dry up pretty quickly. Alvarado, to me, is the one that just doesn't belong. He's the first one that goes. I can see him kind of floating up into that empty space where there are no closers, You know, kind of in the pick 150 range. Maybe he doesn't get all the way up. Adbert Alzale's ADP, but he's probably not that far behind. And the reason is a couple things. Number one, Craig Kimbrell is gone. He had 23 saves last year in the regular season. So there's a large share of saves available. Alvarado was getting saves last year, even when Kimbrell was around. He's part of the mix for them. And now we're looking at two seasons with improved 
control for Alvarado. So if we didn't trust it last year, a second season where he's kept that walk rate in check, keeping it more in line with a typical elite closer, that should give you some more confidence. This is a skill that he now possesses. Alvarado led all closers in strikeout minus walk rate last season. If you want to count him as a closer, 26.7%. Basically, he's got the Pete Fairbanks strikeout and walk rates with less injury risk. I like that. And he's had a great team. So what do you think the concerns are with Alvarado specifically? I mean, I know they can mix and match. They've got other flamethrowers in the bullpen. Orion Kirkering's going to get a mention at some point during the show later on. But that's a guy that pitched at like four different levels last year before a really late debut. Alvarado's been a big leaguer for a long time and now has these elite skills two years running. Yeah, my my own concern is that, you know, Alvarado was there and they brought in Craig Kimbrell. You know, it's like they are trying to build a massive hard-throwing bullpen. And I... I just don't know that they're going to solidify around him as their closer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like he could be it. Uh, Jeff Hoffman had bonkers stuff numbers. Like he 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 grew three miles per hour in the fastball and like six miles an hour in the slider, and he had the best stuff plus in that bullpen. Sarantha Dominguez like didn't have a great year, but the stuff was still there. Uh, Gregory Soto had better stuff than Jose Alvarado last year uh, by Stuff Plus, and um, I think that that's even that's even true after the revision. So it's not some weird he's a lefty and we're dinging him too much. Uh, he had a 109 Stuff Plus, uh, and then he got revised to 108. So uh, Alvarado is who he is, and I do think he's a good closer and a good pitcher, and he could be a good closer. I just don't know who the closer is. That's it. I just don't know who the closer is. And maybe as spring comes and they ask the, the manager a couple of times, maybe I'll believe him. But managers also lie. <laughs> they do. They do. The other thing that I think is interesting is that they they weren't passing on Alvarado because he was their only high leverage lefty because Soto is also a lefty. Right. So the makeup of the pen is kind of the same with Kimbrel gone, but Kirkering being the other righty, I guess you could kind of throw into the mix. I do think that's part of the reason why the price is low. Like if they're... If, if there was a statement that came out from the front office and manager definitively, Jose Alvarado's the closer. We're going to use Alvarado as our closer. You'd see that ADP jump. Understandably yeah. so. I think that's what's holding him back right now. I think it's a risk worth taking in this range, though, because yeah. of all these guys, Leclerc, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily the clear-cut answer. He might have the job for now. That's, that, to me, that's the story of like what bad command can do to you. Yeah. You can and, lose your job. He's had some pretty gnarly injury problems as well. So he comes with elevated injury risk, a team with high expectations. They did bring in David Robertson as an insurance policy. I realize Robertson's going to be 39 in April, but he was pretty effective again last year. So I think they at least got somebody else that you could say has the proven proven and, and closer tag. Was great in the in the playoffs. And yeah, that, that those playoff results for Sabors are actually more in line with the model expects of him. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of like Sabors as a as a as a sleeper. So yeah, I'm, I've taken some Leclerc, but I've usually tried to then take some Sabors to you know in a draft and hold situation where I'm taking a couple shots at that pen. Um, I think you can do this in a draft and hold situation. I think you can do something similar with Alex Lang because I don't really love Alex Lang. He had the worst command of any of the closers last year. 
Um, and I had a, a thing here. This is Alex Lang's sinkers against righties. You're trying to bury that pitch almost off the plate in. And Alex Lang got a lot of the middle of the plate with a sinker. And this is the heat map that you're, you can look at on YouTube. Um, so I think it's poor command and it's a sinker led uh, uh, arsenal. So when you look at what he does against lefties, uh, he doesn't even bother throwing that sinker against them. Uh, he 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 throws like, I think he threw last year like 500 curveballs uh, against lefties and 100 sinkers and 100 four seamers. Mm. <laughs> so so that to me like that says there's a little bit of risk here, man. Like that's your approach. You're just gonna keep throwing the curveball over and over again. All right, all right, maybe it'll work, but uh, I, but you can. I think it's fairly easy to see how to buy two, uh, the two best candidates for saves in that bullpen by getting Alex Lang and uh, Jason Foley or Alex Lang and Shelby Miller. That's, you know, that's it's three guys that I think those three guys will get all the saves for the Tigers this year. So you can kind of buy your way through a pen and they're all super cheap. So if you're kind of trying to do that thing where you handcuff a bunch of guys, LeCurk, you can kind of do it with Sabors and Robertson, I think. And you get, I think you'll get most of the saves in that pen. But might be a little bit more expensive and might be a little bit worse. <laughs> yeah, this whole tier is just full of, of question marks. Mason Miller, we know the stuff is oh, just electric. Is, yeah, and, and they're putting him in the pen, so maybe he's, it's easier for him to stay healthy. At, at this point, aren't we at, at the that's not proven <laughs> level? Yeah, like, right, yeah. You're still throwing really, really hard, so that's not necessarily going to keep can, you. But you can get away with him. an amazingly few amount of pitches. Like you're, it's just fewer pitches. Like you can finish a day and then take two days off and have thrown ten competitive pitches. Yeah, that's true. So it's it's got to be a little bit less likely to be injured. Like more pitches means more injury. I haven't seen this like disproven. Have you seen it disproven? No, it's just sort of thinking anecdotally, right? It's just a thing that we think is true, but we don't have any proof. We don't know way. for sure. Yeah, are the A's going to be a little better? Like improved enough where if Mason Miller is their one closer that he could rack up 25 plus saves and be a, a tier two closer by season's end just by by skills and opportunity. Is that that in the range of outcomes? I mean, the ERA is going to be tiny and he's going to have a 30% strikeout rate. And if you look at some of the worst positions that the A's have, they, they're starting to gather guys there. So, you know, Nick Allen as their shortstop and we'll get to this on the team preview, but you know, they've got Daryl Hernias like right behind him, you know, so, and he hits the ball harder. So, you know, in the outfield, they've got, you know, Lawrence Butler behind JJ Blade. So now they're starting to like gather enough options where they can be like, okay, sorry, this isn't working. We're going to the next guy, um, which I think offers some, some hope for them to be better this year. I keep thinking that the best comp for Mason Miller is probably Pete Fairbanks. Yeah, <laughs> like On a what, the what could the what could go right is he's other Pete Fairbanks, and also maybe the A's like give him all the save chances. Right, they don't mess around at all. But then the other part of this too. I wonder how much they'll be careful with him on back to backs. Yeah, and, I mean you're not worried about a lot of three in a rows. It's Ryan Helsley for a long not. time like didn't pitch back to backs. Right. So maybe 
maybe you're just hoping for 15 saves given the team context and how he could be used. They, I don't think I've seen a specific usage plan for him. Maybe they'll just let him pitch like a regular reliever. It doesn't matter. If you throw 12 pitches one day, you can come back the next day and throw 15 or 20 more. Yeah. Tough call. Not a bin that I want to shop in for the most part. I'm with you on the concerns about Lang. I do think there's some intriguing paths for the Tigers to make a closer out of a failed starter. That could be something they do that would you know, leapfrog the likes of Foley. We've seen Shelby Miller have some success. Yeah, would Sawyer Gibson Long look like out of the pen? Might be, might be exciting. Yeah, we could be at that point. Uh, Matt Manning out of the pen. Like that could happen theoretically right like any mm-hmm. any one of those guys that doesn't win the job as a starter could move into a shorter relief role and just come out kind of electric bottom part of this group Carlos Estevez we talked about him a little bit last week uh, when we mentioned that Robert Stevenson has been added to the Angels and that Matt Moore is back void on a couple of leagues <laughs> yeah um so in the case where you just punted spending up early on saves Carlos Estevez has the job on paper, according to his GM right now. <laughs> it's not it's not the same as having the job on the field. I, I was, the only question I have for you is, is it possible that Carlos Estevez was just unlucky on balls in play in his first season outside of Colorado? The stuff is actually pretty good. It, the fastball velocity is great. He should be better than he was last year. I had him on a few teams. I liked him as a cheap closer last year. You know, Sierra kind of points to a number that says he deserved the 390 ERA. The 149 whip is just kind of strange to me. Like he shouldn't be this hittable with the arsenal that he has, right? So is this a a little bit of an overlooked quality reliever because of how some things broke for him in his first season with the Angels? Yeah. The the one thing is that like, you know, uh they've only got him for another year. They've got Stevenson for longer. There's no like, let's keep one guy cheap. You know, let's just have the veteran and keep the, the young guy who's better behind him. Like there's none of that. That Estevis and, and Stevenson are both on deals. And I just think Stevenson's better. <laughs> so like, I think they could have done fine with Estevez, you know, and maybe sign like a Jordan Hicks or somebody to be a setup guy. But, um, you know, since they signed Stevenson, I think they're looking to improve there. So I think at least in the GM's office, this was like we're signing a closer on the cheap. Man, you know what? What a late. I don't know fade. what the manager's office is going to think, and I and I think they're going to give the manager some 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 power. And we're also talking about a part of the draft where you're not very likely to have these players at the end of the season. So you're just taking a shot, you know, and then. You're you're just as likely to move on from that shot. So I could see I could see doing it. For me, Kyle Finnegan is a is a is an avoid for the similar reason, which is that Hunter Harvey is just a better pitcher. Yeah. I had the same thing on the notes on the rundown. I'm like, Hunter Harvey is better. We have two years of proof. <laughs> yeah. Hunter Harvey is better than Kyle Finnegan. And it's not to say Kyle Finnegan's bad, but if you're using the best reliever in that spot, it's Harvey's job to basically take over. Yeah, and I guess there's some Mason Miller, uh, Pete Fairbanks, you know, extreme health risk with Hunter Harvey, and that I think that's part of why they've mucked around with him a little bit to you know because they're always oh, we can't use him back to back. How can he be our closer? So co closers, I guess it is. But I'll take the one uh, with the better strikeout rate, the better ERA, the better stuff, you know, all that. Uh, Robert Suarez is the only one in this in this crew that I I kind of I'm a little bit more excited to to take a shot at and. Um, you know, we've got a 384 projection and a 118 stuff plus. It's not amazing, 
Um, but I just don't see them turning the ball over as in the closer role to the, the other options, uh, unless like Wusuk Go or uh, Yuki Matsui um, just have great springs and, and wow everybody. Um, I suppose Suarez could take a backseat to one of the, the guys they got from Japan and Korea. Um, but Suarez is the biggest fastball and, you know, our preliminary research into this from Derek Cardi and others, um, is that fastball velocity, velocity matters just by itself outside of stuff. Um, and, uh, so you could have a guy who's throwing 98 in the closer role, or you could have, uh, one of these other guys who's like throwing 93, 94. I don't know. I think, I think it's going to be Suarez. <laughs> I think health last year is a big part of the reason why the K rate took a little bit of a tumble for Robert Suarez. When he's healthy, he's electric. He makes the most money in that bullpen. He throws the hardest in that bullpen. Those things tend to uh, nudge you into a ninth inning role. I would assume he at least gets the first shot at it. If you want to be really cynical about the money aspect, Robert Suarez has an opt-out after the 2025 season. He'll be pretty old. He'll be in his mid-30s, I think, by then. Maybe the Padres want to pump him up with saves just to get him to opt out of that deal so they don't have to pay for the last couple of years. So you're our guy. You're the closer. Just help yeah, him get help out him there and see market. what you can do. Yeah. We want to get you 40 saves these next two seasons so we can uh, have you opt out. I mean, it's a good outcome for them if he's that good, too. I think having him. the cynical mindset trying to play along with AJ Preller is probably a good idea. Yeah, it seems like a good place to start. Uh, but I do like Suarez. <laughs> I like Suarez more than the other two guys in the bottom part of the tier. I actually think I like him a little more than everybody but Alvarado. I think Alvarado, I just know I'm taking on job risk. Suarez, I feel like I'm giving up a little bit of health and possible skills, even though the stuff looks like it's good enough for him to take the job and potentially run with it. Let's look beyond pick 250. So we have some teams we haven't even talked about a reliever for you know the Royals, for example. Uh, favorite targets for saves, maybe they don't currently have the job, maybe they just haven't haven't really been closers before, or they've only had opportunities for a couple of months. Who do you like in this space beyond pick 250? Who are your, some of your favorite darts right now to end up turning up value in this category? Well, I can give you a couple that'll just be opportunities for the short term and won't be opportunities by the time if you're drafting in, in three weeks, like <laughs> it won't be done. So, I mean, I think I'm looking at Hunter Harvey at 280. Uh, Robert Stevenson at 320. Um, you know, I just think those guys are have a big up arrow on them, and uh, as the as March proceeds, like we'll be talking about them in tier three, you know, and, and tier two. But as long as they're they're there for me, uh, easy pickings. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the easy ones first. Stevenson's already kind of made the leap to the early pick is 174 ADP. Yeah. The last seven days is already 250. Happening. So yeah, he's pretty reasonably like part of the group we just talked about with an up arrow kind of point getting close to Alvarado might be where the toss up yeah. is like hey another guy with good skills we're not sure if or when he's going to take over the role but if he does he'll be very good at it the closer they get to anointing one and sooner like if I if they anoint Stevenson and Alvarado I might actually take Stevenson because uh, uh, I yeah I could see him just being the sole closer gets all of the saves and uh, the you know the stuff since Robert Stevenson made his change to the the cutter that he throws has been uh, pretty outstanding so um, I I think uh, I have Gregory Santos as the closer in Chicago I don't think it's going to be a good pen I don't think it's going to be a good time in Chicago uh, in, on the south side uh, he's also injured so you kind of need him to you know some positive health news. I think as soon as he gets positive health in news, he starts moving up. 
Um, and he's a great late pick in drafting holds as, as a guy who, even if he doesn't close in April, I think he'll be closing the other five months. Uh, I don't really see anybody else in that pen I'd like. Yeah, as long as he gets past the elbow injury. I'm I'm a little worried about that injury because the last comment I saw was a Rotowire note pointing to uh, Santos maybe not, maybe not being ready for spring training. But even if he's not, like, what if he comes to spring training two weeks late? He's a reliever. Yeah, they can catch up pretty fast. Yeah. We're not overlooking someone in this pen, are we? <laughs> it's a long list of names. Some some former prospects in there. Uh, we will have some analysis. I have a piece coming out tomorrow uh, with Greg Jewett, who does uh, who does uh, uh, the closer ranks at the Athletic, and he he has a guy in there. But uh, I'll let him speak for him because I'm not sure I'm I'm in on him. I think I, I is there like a, a a bullpen? There might be two bullpens. I'm just going to avoid completely. Okay, which um, ones? Kansas City and Colorado. Colorado is like almost a permanent avoid for me. Like I just don't even want to yeah. deal. We have a Def- 4.57 ERA projected for Justin Lawrence with a 118 stuff plus. Like if he just went somewhere else, um, and uh, and James MacArthur, we have a 4.20 ERA uh, projected with a 21 percent strikeout rate. Uh, and I couldn't really identify. I don't think I identified anybody uh, deeper in that pen that I was like, oh yeah, like why not him. So, I don't think the Royals pen's a total avoid for me. Oh, I do have one. I mean, our old favorite, Carlos Hernandez. Yeah, well, sure. I'll never give I up took on him Carlos with the last Hernandez. Pick in a 50, 50 round, fifteen team draft and hold. Like that's, I, I like him, but like that's that's the level you should put Carlos Hernandez in your brain. <laughs> oh, okay. So if you're in an AL only league and you have six reserves, he should be your fifth or sixth reserve. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> great, great use case. We just helped three people. Yeah, 2% You're of the welcome. audience might be in a situation where they can <laughs> utilize Carlos Hernandez. So congratulations. You can also stash that name away for later and maybe, you know, the 12 teams. It's like maybe, That's true. Maybe he starts setting up and he's got better numbers than MacArthur and then you're like, I'm actually going to believe this. I do think with MacArthur, you look back, he really hasn't had a lot of time as a reliever. They just started using him predominantly as a reliever last year at AAA. So we're looking at about 40-ish appearances. He's got a lot of pitches, so he can kind of hone in on a couple more. Like, just have like two that stand out instead of the the starters arsenal that he used to work with. Brace being a reliever. Sometimes the the more velo boost comes in the second year as a reliever. That's yeah. actually what you saw with Romano as I was talking about. Romano uh, went from ninety four nine to ninety six seven as a reliever. Yeah, I'm trying to think when you look at that arsenal. I mean, six seven. What what does MacArthur throw that you think would play up? Like, does he have two good enough pitches to be a quality late inning option, even though he couldn't quite make it as a starter? Let me see what we got here. Uh, MacArthur. James MacArthur, four-seam fastball, 55 stuff plus. He doesn't throw it. Uh, sinker, 91 stuff plus. Uh, slider, 80, 121. Curveball, 160. So it's a great curveball, iffy sinker. I, I, I just think probably like a tick is what you're looking for. Right. Like if he if he if the velo is up in spring, I like him a little bit more. Yeah, if he found it, I think that would be a good good dart throw where he's going. Uh, if you don't believe in in Tanner Scott, is Andrew Nardi the the next guy up in the bullpen right now for the Marlins? I've got puck. You still got puck. I think they're trying to stretch him out. I don't know if I believe them. I, I don't really they, know why they would do that. Yeah, unless they think of him as a as a double. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that spring will maybe bear fruit, but um, 
just if, if everybody came back and was in the same roles, I, I would take Puck. I like him a little bit better than Nardi. Are you taking a cheap shot in the Phillies bullpen then, since you're not really into Alvarado at the price? Well, I love Orion Kirkering, um, but um, it's a little bit harder for me to identify who it is actually going to be if it's not Alvarado. So maybe that's an argument that it's Alvarado, but you know, Jeff Hoffman is, I think, a, an interesting name to pick. Super, super cheap in a lot of leagues. If Pete Fairbanks breaks again, is there someone that stands out to you as the first choice to replace him in the Rays? I think Jason bullpen? Adam is my uh, Jason Adam and Ryan Presley are uh, my number one and number two guys in my in my non closer tier. And the thinking is just they have excellent, excellent projections. They're going to be useful as pitchers, you know, and. The worst case scenario is not you get blown to smithereens in the first couple of weeks while you're trying to see if they get saves. The worst, the worst case scenario is you just rack up a few innings that are good, uh, and then you move on if you if they if they're just not being used at all like that. The deeper the league gets, the more important it is that they're just a good reliever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in a draft and hold, I actually took a Brayu, Brian Abreu, because I was like, hey, there's going to be weeks where I don't have a good starting pitcher matchup. And I'm just going to put a Abreu in there and hope he gets three appearances and five strikeouts and maybe a win. Yeah, well, I think that works in that format, especially. You got to have the the high stuff or the you know high K minus BB arms that you really like, and a lot of those guys end up being pitchers that if you play in a saves and holds league, those are the guys that are going to start to jump off the page. I mean, the, the consistent Abner advice. Yeah, yeah, he's part of the bridge, like for sure. And if Williams gets hurt, he could end up being the nasty, guy. Nasty, nasty, nasty. Mm-hmm. Where do they find these guys? They're so good at that. <laughs> it's a, it's an organizational gift, I guess. Yeah, love it. You know that their player development is okay if they can come out with you know Hater and uh, and Devin Williams and Abner Rebe, even Piamps. You know, it's a good pen. Yeah, they keep finding guys. <laughs> Even the sixth and seventh inning Rasmussen, guys end up being good. And Rasmussen was theirs too. Rasmussen and um, who they trade with Rasmussen, Fi- uh, the guy who just got traded again to the Kittredge. Yeah, that was those were Brewers. Yeah, they they've got uh, they've got that ability. So Uribe is a good call. Uh, anyone else for saves plus holds leagues? I mean, you mentioned Brian Abreu. I'd love him in saves and holds oh, leagues because he's just ratios K's. Part of the bridge, they're going to win a lot. I mentioned the Mariners bullpen as one that's really good, right? I mean, Matt Brash. Matt Brash seems like a, a great saves and holds league target because he could end up being the guy if Munoz gets hurt. I think Munoz has had a significant number of arm injuries to this point in his career. I also just so. think he's like going to be a, a primary setup man. One of the things you do want with safeless holds leagues, because holds are more finicky even than saves. Managers don't get questioned about who their setup guy is as much. So they'll move guys around, you know, like nobody's asking them who's getting holds for you in the, in the pregame scrum, you know? So they'll, they'll be more finicky with those guys and just getting a guy that you're like, that is the setup guy on a good team. That's going to win a lot of games. Uh, I think that brash fits that mold. Uh, DL hall might fit that mold, but it's a little bit, a little bit more uh, hard. I think Julian Merriweather fits that mold. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a good reliever on a team. He might get some saves. He might push, uh, he might push uh, Adbert Alzale, but I think he's at least the second best reliever right now on a pen that on a team that should win some games. It's really funny. The same thing with the team saves leaderboard. I just looked at team holds. 
the Rockies only had 57 holds as a team last year. The team that led the league was the Orioles at 106. There were six teams that had 100 or more. Orioles, Jays, Brewers, Guardians, Tigers, Braves, and then the Mariners are up there at 96. Yeah, because the, the 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 you know the tough thing about getting too into DL Hall is Yamir Cano is there too, and so he might just be the setup guy, especially since he's got such a great sinker and keeps the ball on the ground, and seems so safe. So, you know how how many games will Hall come up in a in a whole situation? Um, I, I think there's probably a, a fair amount, but uh, Ian Hamilton is a guy that I like uh, in New York, uh, especially with Jonathan Loizaga's injury history. Ian Hamilton could end up moving into setup. Yeah, good group of targets, though, all around for the uh, saves and holds league. Some of them could be future closers. Some of them may just stay 7th, 8th inning the entire time and and be helpful in that uh, one particular format. Uh, you know, you mentioned a piece you're writing with Greg Jewett. that will be up on The Athletic on Friday, so that'll be really cool. Greg does great work on closers, so hopefully you've been reading him over the last couple of seasons. And if you don't have an ac- have access to The Athletic, you can get it. For $2 a month, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It's an offer for new subscribers only, so be sure to take advantage of that if you are eligible to do so. Uh, what else you got coming up? You got anything else? Well, I've got, uh, yeah, the dueling closing ranks. I've got chats on Fridays are back. So we've got chats at 1130 a.m. Eastern time. Um, we are going to have some fun uh, m- more announcements for uh, this podcast coming. And then last night, uh, as again, the cat twice, each dog separately. And I was so tired. I, mm, I'm mad at my animals right now. Um, <laughs> but while I was falling asleep, I had the idea to maybe write a story about the death of Dips Theory. Oh. So uh, there's been some interesting findings that I've talked about on this podcast with regards to uh, the fact that pitchers cannot control the ball and results on balls in play and um, may go through the kind of the history of that. Uh, so I have some people to contact and some thinking to do, um, but maybe that'll be up next week on the pages of The Athletic. Well, you should give your cat co-author credit for an inspiration for the idea. And good <laughs> Not news for giving the cat. that cat anything. I'll give him food, but just grudgingly. <laughs> you still have the option of, of kindly rehoming the cat. I offer that to you all the time. Like, hey, you're not a I bad person if you move on from like the cat. kind of my father-in-law's cat, so. Oh, well, you know, like, yeah, have, have him take it take home. take him back. Yeah. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> I think he would like San Diego better. Oh, yes. We'll talk about how much he's been inside because it's rainy and cold and how he'd much rather be outside. You did it. You solved Ooh. the cat problem. Ooh, a little a little uh, internal family politics, a little massaging the decision. Oh, would you guys like to take it? <laughs> yeah, you have to just make the cat act on its best behavior before you make the request so that's going to take some work so we'll give you some time to work on that uh no show on friday plenty of time to catch up on all the position previews we're glad we got all those out nice and early this year we appreciate everybody who's taking the time to listen to those to drop comments on youtube those are always great you can email us rates and barrels at gmail.com is the best way to contact us with questions for future episodes as we mentioned before we're going to get into some deep deep pitchers and hitters at various points in the next few weeks so if you got Specific questions, send those our way, but we're also going to have some broader focus on uh, the guys we didn't get to and 
team previews are coming up soon. So that's a new thing for us this year as well. So that is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>